Hi, this is Scott Rideout, the president of Converge, and I cannot tell you what a privilege it is to be with you this weekend. I know there are several churches in the Quad City areas. They're all focusing on reaching the community with the gospel of Jesus, and it's my privilege to talk to you about that today. In fact, in Converge, we have this emphasis over the next 10 years. It's called Each One, Reach One. Our prayer is that every person in the Converge Church would have the privilege of reaching someone with the gospel of Jesus. That every one of us would have the opportunity to reach a neighbor, a coworker, a relative, a friend, a classmate, a teacher, a coach, somebody in our circle of concern that we could actually help them know Jesus and begin to follow Him with their lives. Now think about this for a minute. What would happen in your life if you led someone to Christ? What if your, your spouse or your, your son or your parent or your daughter or your friend led someone to Christ? How would it change their lives? I'm so excited. Well, first of all, that the church would double in size if we all did this, right? Uh, but more than that, the community would be impacted. The community would be transformed because the gospel of Jesus changes everything. So this, this morning, as I talk with you, I want to talk to you uh, from a passage in, in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. We see Jesus doing something, but Jesus is not the hero in this story, although Jesus is always the hero. He's not the hero of this story. It's, it's the most unlikely heroes. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 1, we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he is baptized. He's tested in the desert. He chooses his first disciples. He starts preaching and people are starting to follow. He casts out a demon. He heals a leper. Jesus is doing amazing things. And we get to the point in Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1, we pick up the story from here. It says this, And when he returned home to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Jesus has moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Capernaum is on the trade route between east and west. It's at the top of the Sea of Galilee. It's the perfect place if you're going to have an international ministry because people from all sorts of nations would go through that area. And, and you see later on in Jesus' ministry how he reaches out to the north and to the, and to the east and other places. And so it's a great place for him, him to be. And he's come home and he's come, become very, very popular. In fact, we see in this, this passage that there's, there's no more room. People have packed out the house and Jesus is just teaching them and people are amazed at what Jesus is saying. Now, I want you to think about it. I mean, think about the time where Jesus is ministering. Uh, there's a Roman occupation that's been going on for almost a century. There's, there's, there's poverty. Uh, people are, are poor. They're sick. Uh, there's very little hope going on in this, in this culture. And yet Jesus brings help and hope and healing. Jesus, Jesus changes, changes everything. And he, here he is and he's, he's preaching and they're just so hungry for it. I mean, I just wish people were as hungry today as they are back then. I think they are. We just need to get the word out to them. And it's in this point that we, we have these unlikely heroes. Now remember, Jesus is trending on Twitter. Uh, he's, Facebook is blowing up with friend requests. He's, he's all over Instagram. Jesus is, is everywhere. The paparazzi are really happy about all the pictures they're getting. You know that's a joke, right? I'm just, I'm just kidding. I did go to seminary, all right? But here we find our, our heroes. In verse 3 it says this, And they came. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Well, what do we know about, about they? Well, we know there's at least five of them uh, because there's four of them carrying one of them, which makes five in my, in my math. I think it's the same thing true in, in, in Iowa. So uh, five, you know, four plus one is five. There's, there's five of them. Uh, four of them, we don't know much about. One of them 
is a paralytic. Now, we, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know how he got in this situation. Was this he was something he was born with? Did he have an accident? Was it recent? Was it a long time ago? We have, we have no idea what's going on here except one thing. We know that these four people love him. They love their friend. And they're willing to do anything for him. And I don't know what happened here. Maybe it was a scenario where they heard what Jesus was doing in Capernaum and and they probably went to their friend and said, listen, we have tried everything. We have gone to doctors. We've gone to prayer vigils. We have gone different places. We've tried different things and nothing has worked for you. But we're, we're hearing about this guy, Jesus. We're hearing about him and he's, he's healing the sick and, and the, the blind see and the, and the lame walk and the deaf hear. And maybe, maybe if he could do it for others, maybe he could do it for you. Now, let me stop right there and just point out something that this, they're talking about physical things. This is what they want, but there's also spiritual things that Jesus is doing. Jesus changes everything. Here's the idea. Here's the idea for evangelism. It's this, is this. These people don't have the expertise to help their friend. They don't have it all figured out. They don't have it all together. But the one thing they think, the one thing in their mind is, is if I get them to Jesus, Jesus can take care of it because Jesus changes everything. See, in our modern church today, we, a lot of times we have a hard time sharing our faith, talking to our neighbors about Christ because we're afraid they're going to ask us a question that we don't know the answer. How many of you actually have that fear? They're going to ask me a question, I'm not going to the answer, and I'm going to look stupid. Yeah. So just so you know, in my seminary uh, classes, I, I learned that when I don't know the answer to something, here's what I say. I don't know. I don't know, but, but I'll find out. See, that's seminary is worth it, right? Uh, it just, just listen, I don't know, but I'll find out. Listen, I, I, I don't have to have all the answers. See, here's the great thing about Scripture, the great thing about being a Christian. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, You'll still receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. He says, You shall be my what? My witnesses. He doesn't say you'll be my salespeople. See, we're called to be witnesses, not salespeople. Now, salespeople, they have a pitch, they have an angle, they have a product, they have this thing they know a whole lot about. And their whole goal is to sell you something that you may or may not need. Sorry for all you salespeople who are out there uh, listening and watching today. But their their whole idea is they, they need to make a sale. They need to have a spiel, a pitch, an angle at something you may or may not need. But, but we're not salespeople, we're witnesses. See, a salesperson has an, has an angle. A witness says, listen, I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out. I can just tell you what I've seen, heard, and experienced. And in my life, Jesus has changed everything. And, and what these people are doing, they're saying, let's, let's bring them to Jesus, and Jesus will change everything. And so, so here they are. They don't have to have it all together. They don't have to have it all figured out. But they know that Jesus changes everything. So here's what happens. It says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, see, let me just stop there. They ran into an obstacle. They ran into a, a difficulty. And, and they weren't sure how to, how to handle it once they got to this difficult place. In my experience as a pastor, I know a whole lot of people that have had a, had a kind of a fear of sharing their faith. They've, it's been really, really difficult for them. And they, they're not, not sure that someone will respond to the gospel. They're not sure if they know what to say and, and those kind of things. We talked about being a witness. I remember this guy named Gary. Uh, Gary was 78 years old. He was the leader of the Fellowship of Light 
uh, Sunday school class. He had, been, he had been the leader of that class for 37 years. 37 years as a Sunday school teacher. If you're a Sunday school teacher out there, thank you so much for all that you do. But he came to me and said, Scott, I have a confession to make. And I said, well, what's that? He says, I, says, I, I, have, I haven't shared my faith in a long time. I haven't even invited anyone to, to church in a long time, and I'm not sure how to do it. And I said, well, give me an example of somebody, because you always want to have a face in your head. Because evangelism is just general, but when you put a face to it, when you say it's my neighbor, my coworker, my relative, my friend, my classmate, everything changes in your life. And I'm just going to encourage you to put a face to your evangelistic desires. So he said, well, I've got a neighbor across the street, and uh, she's been my neighbor for about six, seven years, and uh, her husband died a couple years ago, and my wife, Linda, and I, we go over there and help her out all the time, but I just... I haven't had the guts to invite her in church. And now it's been so long that she's been my neighbor, I'm embarrassed. And uh, so I looked at him and I said, well, why don't you just apologize to her? He said, well, I said, why don't you just apologize to her? Just say, listen, I, I should have invited you to church a long time ago. I'm real sorry, I, I should have. So will you, will you come with me? He said, okay, I'll do that. 78 years old, learning the tricks. So he, the next weekend he's working on her porch. Her husband has been gone for a couple years. And, uh, and she, he looks at her and says, listen, I need, to, I need to apologize to you. I've done a real disservice to you. And she's like, what are you talking about, Gary? You've done nothing but serve me. You and Linda have been great since my husband passed away. You've helped me so many times. He says, yeah, I, I know, I know. But, but the one disservice I've done to you is I, I have a fantastic church. And I love what God's doing in my life. And I've, I need to apologize because I've never invited you to my church. Would you, like to, would you like to come? She was so overwhelmed by the invitation. She's like, well, of course I'll come. <laughs> He's like, really? You'll come? Yes, I'll come. And so the next weekend she shows up and we're doing Bible study signups at that point in time. And she's not a believer. And she's like, well, I don't know the Bible, so I should probably sign up for Bible study. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, because most of the time you think, well, I'm not a believer. I can't sign up for Bible study because I know the Bible, but, but it, it, it should work this way that non-Christians sign up for Bible study because they want to learn the Bible. So she signed up for Bible study. In the Bible study over the next few weeks, she realized that she wasn't a Christian. She gave her life to Christ. And a couple months later, Gary and Linda were in the pool baptizing her in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing? All because he had the courage to invite, to, to put words in his mouth and just say, hey, would you, would you come with me? Would you join me? I was in that same season, there was a, a woman named Betsy. She was a top Fortune 500 kind of CEO kind of person. And she, uh, she was in service one day when, when I said, listen, let's make this real easy. Uh, we put a digital invitation on the screen. And, and I said, hey, well, everyone, just, just find three friends and text these three friends. Will you join me? Just will you join me? And, and she did. She came up to me after service and, and she said, Scott, I'm, I, I kind of overdid it. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, you told me to text three friends and we were inviting them to the next series coming up. And I said, yeah. She said, she said well, I invited 10. I said, well, that's, that's great. By that time, her phone buzzed. And I was like, what's that? She said, oh, it's my neighbor. She's responding. I said, what does she say? She's like, you want me to read this out loud? I'm like, yes, read it out loud. Share the good news with me. And she said, she said, well, my neighbor says this. Well, of course I'll come with you. I would love, thank you so much for inviting me to church. I can't come that week because I'll be in New York, but I'll come some other time. And Betsy began to tear up. She began to tear up. I said, Betsy, how long has she been your neighbor? She's kind of caught by that question. What? what? I said, how long has she been your neighbor? 
And her, her, her junior high uh, daughter said, nine years, Mom. She's been our neighbor nine years. See, here's, the, here's the thing. We get, so, we get so caught up with the idea we have to have it all figured out. But listen, that's not what we need to do. These, these, four, these four people carried their friend to Jesus because they knew that Jesus changes everything. They knew that Jesus was the answer. Just get them to the place where they can hear about Jesus, where they can experience Jesus, and that'll change everything for them. So here's what happens. It says this, uh, when they could, get, could not get near him because of the crowd, they ran into an obstacle. It says, uh, they removed the roof above him, and when they had, had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So, so they get to the house, they're carrying their friend, and they have this obstacle. The house is surrounded by people. I mean, everyone wants their piece of Jesus. Everyone wants to see him, to hear him. They're leaning against the windows. They're, they're, they're crowded into the room, and there's just no possible way to get them to Jesus. And so they come up with this plan. Let's go up on the roof. Let's dig a hole, and let's lower this guy down in front of Jesus. Now, all I got to say about that is there's probably a teenager thinking about this, all right? Because responsible adults wouldn't think this way, right? They, they wouldn't just break into the roof. Who's going to pay for the, to the repairs? The homeless association won't allow for a roof. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we have that we just say, no, 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 we can't do that. But, but there's this boldness of these friends. They know they've got to get them to Jesus and they need to find every possible way to get them, to get him to Jesus. I love what it says in this passage. Next verse, it says this, And when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, not just the paralytic's faith, but his friend's faith. I love that. He says, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> I mean, what a great moment. What a great moment to know that your sins are forgiven, that your slate is wiped clean, that you are right with God. And yet, I don't think anyone in the room actually recognized the moment. I don't think they understood because their friends were like, yeah, hey, Jesus, listen, that's, that's all great and good, but uh, I don't know if you know this, but he's a paralytic. He can't walk. His greatest need is to be able to walk. Sometimes we think ways like that, but that's just not true, is it? Our greatest need is a personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus. It's the greatest thing that can happen in any person's life is to, to meet, know, and follow Jesus. There's rumblings in the crowd. I mean, rumblings everywhere. And, and there's Pharisees in there saying, who, who, can, who does he think he is? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what was happening there. He says, listen, you're probably asking this question. Who, do I have the authority to forgive sins? But he says, just so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He looked at the paralytic. He says, I want you to take up your mat and I want you to, want you to walk out of here. And he walked out in the presence of everyone. Jesus changed everything. And the people there said they were amazed. They had never seen anything like this. Now, I know this story isn't really about evangelism, but it is. It's a picture. It's a picture of people coming together and figuring out how can we work together because we're better together. How can we work together to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus? When I was a local church pastor, we had this concept. It was four things. Team, target, prayer, share. 
And we would tell people, listen, if you want to be evangelistic effective, then, then get, a, get a team. What, what I mean by this is this, maybe you have someone in your church or someone who's a Christian that, that your kids go to the same school. Why don't you team together? Or maybe your kids are on the same sports teams or have the same extracurricular activity or maybe you live in the same neighborhood. Maybe you have the same uh, workplace. But would you, would you work together? That's team. And then target is, would you, would you see who you have in common? Would you actually begin to look at, at who you have around you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, uh, in your friends, on your sports team, and, and maybe begin to work together to try to figure out how can we work together to, to reach this person with the gospel of Jesus? Team, target, prayer. And would you just begin to pray that God would open a door? Look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, and there's lots of great prayer in there about, hey, let's pray that a God will open a door. Pray that we'll be able to speak the way we should. With great, with great boldness, a team target prayer. And then when God provides the opportunity, I want you, I want you to share. These, these kids, these, these paralytic, uh, these friends of the paralytic, they just took their friend and they took him to Jesus and, uh, and, and God did amazing things. Listen, you have the opportunity in your neighborhood. You have the opportunity in your workplace. You have the opportunity in your family. You have the opportunity in your school. You have an opportunity in your community to help people know Jesus. And you just need to work together. You have some common ground. It's amazing what happens when the people of God gather together. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, I'm with them in their midst. And listen, when we pray according to God's will, He hears us and, and he, we have those requests. We're, we're praying for our neighbors, our coworkers, our relatives, our friends, our classmates. So let me tell you one story and we'll close up with this. So a number of years ago, I was a youth pastor and, and uh, I had a lot of great kids in my youth group, but I had some weird ones too. Sorry, teenagers. Uh, one of them, his name was Steve, Steve Kovac. And Steve came up to me one time and he said, Scott, I have a question for you. I said, okay, Steve, what's, what's the question? He said, what do you think it'd be like to live inside of a brick? I said, what? He said, what do you think it'd be like to live inside of a, a, a brick? I had no idea what he's talking about. I said, well, are you talking about like a red brick or cinder block? He said, no, a red brick. I said, um, crowded? He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. And he just walked away. I mean, who, who does that? Who thinks that way? So one day we're at summer camp at Big Bear, Pine Lake in California. And he comes up to me and says, Scott, I have an idea. I'm like, great, Steve. Tell me your idea. He says, well, you know Taylor. I said, of course I know Taylor. He said, well, Taylor doesn't know Jesus. Taylor was another junior high student. Uh, he had some, some challenges in his life and he didn't know Jesus. I said, yeah. He says, well, I have this plan. What if, what if uh, uh, he's, in my, he's in my cabin. What if me and the other guys actually took him on a hike tonight? So he's asking permission not to be at the bonfire. To hike tonight and I'll wear my camos and we'll, I'll crawl on the ground. We'll like military people, it'll be awesome. And then at the end of it, we'll all share a testimony with him and see if he'll come to Jesus. He says, what do you think? And I said, I think it's a great plan, except for the crawling on the ground in your camos. He says, but, but I can do that, right? I said, yeah, you, you could do that. He said, okay. He said, so, so I'll, I'll do that. So that night we got there and we were at the bonfire and, I, and it's, it's this amphitheater and I look up and up at the top, there's a little small wall, uh, a standing wall there. And there's Steve crawling on the ground with six guys walking behind him. And I just throw up a prayer for Steve and I, pro, I throw up a prayer for, for Taylor. And uh, an hour goes by, it's the end of the night. And uh, I'm, I'm taking the girls back to their side of the camp because we had girls on one side of the camp. We had boys on the other side of the camp. We had blue cabins and red cabins, no purple cabins. And so I'm taking the girls back and, uh, and I'm taking them back. And all of a sudden on the wall, jumps up on the wall. Steve Kovac jumps up and says, he did it. He did it. And Taylor jumps on the wall and goes, yeah. 
And these girls that are heading back to the cabin, all of a sudden they're not with me anymore. And like a stampede, they run up the amphitheater, they go up to the wall and they take Taylor down. They have thrown him on the ground. They are jumping and piling on top of him, hugging him and kissing him and he's loving it because these cute little cheerleader junior high girls are all over him and, and, and he, they're so excited for him that he's come to know Christ. And I get kind of ordered back together. It's like, okay, girls, this is great. Taylor, yay. You know, no, no, no purple, no purple. And I, I'm taking him back to the cabin. Well, word spreads through the camp. And the next thing you know, another group of girls stampede. Taylor goes down, hugging, kissing, loving it. This happens three times. Now I realize I'm not in control. So I'm, I'm just counting the number of girls in the pile to make sure all the girls are there. And I'm counting and one of them's, one of them's missing. And I'm looking around and little Lynn, Lynn Norton, she's, she's over here on the ground. And, and I'm like, Lynn, are you okay? And she's like, you don't understand. I said, well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an adult, you're a teenager, but let's try this. She says, you don't understand. Because we've been praying for Taylor for like two years, which junior high language, eternity. We've been praying for two years. And I said, she's just, she's lost it. And so I, I pick her up and I throw her on the pile. See, Steve and those uh, six other boys, they, they took Taylor back to the cabin and they just shared, listen, I'm just a witness. Here's what God's doing in my life. Here's what God's doing in my life. And that's all they did. And then Taylor said, oh, I want to know Jesus the way you guys know Jesus. And they led him to Christ. That group of junior high kids, wow, they were amazing. Over the years, uh, they went on mission trips. Over the years, they led hundreds of their friends to Christ. One is now an elder at my old church. That's how old I am. He's an elder there. One runs the missions program. One is a, works at a youth hostel. Others are doing other things, just as businessmen and women, trying to figure out how to meet their neighbor, to help their neighbors know Jesus. Listen, but they teamed, they targeted, they prayed, they shared, and God did a work. Listen, my prayer for you is that God would use you to help your neighbors, your coworkers, your relatives, your friends, your classmates, your teachers, your coaches, to meet know and follow Jesus, that each one would reach one. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us this opportunity to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus, to help people discover the truth of the gospel and to experience new life in Christ. And I'd ask, Lord, that you'd allow each person here to be a witness, to have the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and to reach the people in their circle of concern with the gospel of Jesus. And I pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for the privilege.